Good morning. It's good to be with you all. It's good to be opening the Word of God together. We're going to be looking at Psalm 119, so if you'd like to turn there, uh, we'll, we'll just be looking at a portion of Psalm 119 this morning. We're going to look at specifically at verses 97 to 104. Psalm 119, verses 97 to 104. Verse 97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Let's pray together. Hallelujah, what a Savior. We are here to celebrate you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you've given us this book to tell us the stories, to teach us your truth, and to teach us your way, how you'd have your servants live in this life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we're asking that you would do that now. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers are working in vain. So I'm asking you to help me to come and and to do my work, and I'm asking you to come and help these people gathered here that they could do their work of hearing, that through hearing they might grow in their faith and might further their walk with you. So come and do this great work. We're dependent on you. We want to see success and not vain work this morning, and we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm sure you're familiar with the feeling. You've you've gone to the swimming pool You've gotten dressed in your bathing attire, and now you've walked out onto the pool deck, but all of a sudden, the, f- the feeling comes over you. Suddenly, you're apprehensive about that water. It looks awful cold. You kind of you get a little closer, and you do the little toe dip thing just to, just to see what to expect, you know, when you, get, when you get closer to that water. That was really cold. Okay, let's go over to the stairs. It'll be easier when I get around to the stairs. So you walk over to the stairs. And there's a little handrail, and, and you start to go in. Oh, it's not so bad. It's just, it's just my ankles, you know. You get down to about knees, and you're feeling pretty brave, right? You felt pretty good about getting in that far, but you know the worst is, is yet to come still. And you start taking those steps further down to the water, and when, when you get down to about mid-thigh, gets up to your waist, and now you're, you're starting to tiptoe a little bit, okay? You don't really want to put your hands in the water. don't want to go down. Just kind of, I want to ease my, my way in here. This is cold. What am I doing here? Anyways, I forgot at this point. Then your friend comes over, right? Because they want to help out a little bit. So they start splashing with water. And then you start realizing this is, this is kind of futile. So finally, you just go ahead and you take the plunge. And that amazing sensation when the cool water rushes all over your body and you're completely immersed in that pool of water, the whole reason that you came there that day. And you do that day after day, and you start to, start to love that feeling. 
You actually start to crave that feeling. You start to want to get in that pool. You want to be immersed so that when you come out, you're not doing that little dance every time. And that's what I want each of us to end up feeling today, or at least getting a little bit of taste of that, when we start thinking about getting immersed in the Word of God. How many of us can honestly say with the psalmist, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. It's quite a statement. How many of us can use that word love to describe our relationship with this book? That's pretty heavy. And if we struggle enthusiastically answering that statement, think about for a sec, what's holding you back from saying, yes, I do love God's law? What's holding us back today? What's making that water feel so cold? Why are we feeling so apprehensive? I mean, maybe it's just because you think it's cold. Maybe it's because you had a bad experience once and almost drowned. I mean, maybe you don't want to admit that you don't know how to swim, and for a lot of years you've just been pretending. I don't know what the reason might be this morning that, that we feel that hesitation. I feel that hesitation too. These are, these are extravagant words. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. But I want us by the end to be excited about swimming, to be immersed in this book. And so what this psalm is calling us to, specifically this section of Psalm 119, is calling us to cultivate our love for God's Word so that we might know the joy of living God's way. This passage is calling us to cultivate our love for God's Word so that we can better experience the joy of living His way. So let's begin looking at that together. I know many of you woke up today some excited and some apprehensive that it was Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is a time when our culture celebrates the amazing experience of romantic love. And as if all the movies, novels, and music that come out continually throughout the year aren't enough, we have a special day set aside to celebrate romantic love, do we not? It's a time when couples will celebrate and refresh that dimension of their relationship once again. Why is that? Why, why is our, our culture so obsessed with this powerful emotion that we find in romantic love? I mean, I'm, I'm sure many of you would probably agree that it's almost idolatrous the way that our society goes after it. You can't hardly turn on the radio without hearing all these songs, and they're singing to this woman as though she's a goddess, okay? Now, we don't want to affirm that, but we do want to ask the question, why is that so powerful? And what about that awakens something in us? This experience of love really stirs something deep in our hearts, and that's what we're seeing here at the outset of this psalm. Oh, how I love your law. We're going to get into that. What is this love he's talking about? But first, let's look at Psalm 119. As you notice, it's probably covering about six pages in your Bible. Uh, it's quite a long psalm, and actually you'll notice some very strange words built over se each section. At the beginning of Psalm uh, verse 97, you see it says mem, right? So, this whole psalm, with all these wonderful words, is actually laid out as a gigantic, across, a, a, a gigantic acrostic, okay? So every, every uh, you know, the way you write an acrostic poem is every line begins with the next letter of the alphabet, right? But this is like an acrostic on steroids because the first eight verses all begin with the first word of the alphabet. Then the next eight verses begin with the next letter of the alphabet, and so on and so on until you have this gigantic psalm. So we're in the M section, the mem section. 
So we're looking at these. But the neat thing about this psalm is that each one of these sections almost forms its own little psalm, its own little idea. But all of them are celebrating God's Word. So ours begins, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Now notice how it's bookended at the end, right? Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Okay? So I think this is indicating to us as we look at this psalm that this love and hate relationship is to be central in how we're to read the rest of the psalm here. This psalmist is so consumed with love for God's Word that he meditates on it all day. Encountering God's Word has awakened something in his heart. Now, you may notice that um, the text actually says, oh, how I love your law, and that may strike you very funny. If loving God's Word seemed like a daunting enough task, how about loving God's law? Or if I had to ask you, what is God's law, might you feel a little uncomfortable like that cold swimming pool, okay? What is God's law, or as some people will call it, the Torah? Now, that's commonly one way that we refer to the first five books of the Bible, okay, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Today, we'll talk about that as being the law, and then you have the prophets, and you have the other historical books, the writings, and that sort of a thing. But in fact, the reason that we call those first five books the law is because at the center of them, what's going on is Josh, uh, Pastor Josh preached through Exodus not too long ago, and you saw this. It's telling the story about how God came down to save a sinful people, and He chose the people of Israel to be through whom He would save the whole world. But to do that first, He had to redeem them. He had to save them. He, he couldn't use them to save the world. He had to save them first. He brought them out of Egypt. He brought them to His mountain, and there He gave them His law. And so you get some of those laws given in Exodus. And then you get a whole book of laws in Leviticus. And then you get a number scattered throughout the book of Numbers, and then you get to Deuteronomy, and it's a second repeat of a lot of the laws that were given earlier, okay? So if that wasn't enough reading through it the first time, you get it a second time in Deuteronomy. And that's why those books are defined as the law. But is that the best way for us to describe this sort of a thing? The word Torah also means instruction in Hebrew, okay? Law is a great way to translate it most of the time, but it also means instruction, and I think that's really important for us to get because sometimes we get this negative view of the law, don't we? Especially if we spend most of our time reading the New Testament. We'll get a feeling that the law is something bad and now we're in this time where we, we get this, this experience of grace and, that, and that's where we live and we're much more comfortable with that. But I want to point out that there's actually a very positive dimension to God's law here. Look, the Torah, the law was given to regulate how God's people lived. He had already saved them. He had already brought them out of Egypt, okay? This is dealing with a people who have been saved, okay? The Ten Commandments start out, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, okay? Before he gets to giving any commandments, he reminds them he's already saved them, okay? So he's giving these commands to regulate the lives of people that he's already been at work in. He's already been saving them. But it's also given to instruct them, to teach them the way of life. Look at uh, verse 102 in our psalm here, and you get, you get that idea. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. Okay? The rules have this teaching dimension to them that we're supposed to learn from these things, and we're supposed to apply them to the way that we live. 
Okay, so this psalmist is exuberant in his love, not just for regulations that keep him on the straight path, but they show him the path. They tell him what the path is so that he can see down the road, this is the way that I should go. Wouldn't someone lost in the woods love to know the way to go? Wouldn't you love to know the way to go? And we find ourselves often in this world trying to figure out the way. And God's law is meant to help instruct us. It's not just meant to be a stick to beat us over the head, okay, to keep us in line. It's meant to show us God's way. So we understand more clearly the object of the psalmist's love, the law. But what does it mean to love the law? What does it mean if I say, I love running? I do. Or then to go on and say, I love America. Is that the same thing? Or what if I say, I love my wife? And then after the sermon, you come up front and you overhear me saying, I just love all the women in this church. Men, you better hope that I mean something different by the two uses of love there, okay? We use that word in lots of different ways, and so this can get a little confusing for us, can't it? I mean, one of those talking about running, that's my particular preference for the way to work out. I like to exercise by running as opposed to swimming or biking or something else. We can use it for the idea of loyalty, okay? I love America. I'm loyal to this country where I was born. It can be a general appreciation for the ladies in this church, okay? Or it can be a binding commitment to say that I love my wife, okay? All these different things are what we mean by talking about love. So if I have to try to simplify it, I'm going to try to cram all the possibilities down into three simple ideas, okay? So what does it mean to love? Well, there's perhaps a covenantal love, there's personal love, and there's ethical love. Or if that's too confusing, how about three words? Commitment, affection, and action. Commitment, affection, and action. Those are three maybe dimensions you could look at when we use the word love to see what we're talking about. Now, at any given time, those are going to come out in different ways. For example, I love my wife fundamentally in a commitment sort of way. Now, everyone here who's married knows that there needs to be affection there, that that those two things are necessary for a marriage to grow and develop. But fundamentally, what we want to say is that it's a commitment, that when I say, for better or for worse, I will love you, that really means something, okay? I think part of the problem with our culture is sometimes we flip that upside down and made it fundamentally about affection, and then the commitment is just, well, the affection's so great that we're going to attach a commitment to this. And, and that's why we see a lot of problems with the way that love is pursued in our culture. How about when I say I love running, okay? This is a personal affinity, a preference of mine, yet I think you would probably question my love for running if you never saw me out hitting the pavement pounding out the miles. If you never saw me acting on that love, you'd probably say, I don't know if he actually really does love running, okay? So different kinds of love call for these different dimensions of commitment, affection, and action, and we see them here in this psalm as well, okay? Now, let's look at how this love affects us. That's what the rest of the psalm is going to unpack here. This love changes us. It not only awakens us, it not only stirs something in us, It changes us. It is meant to change us. And we see that in at least three ways, okay? So let's look at verse 104. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way, okay? Love defines our relationships, 
Love is defining of our relationships. When we love God's Word, when we love God's way of living and doing life, that necessarily means we're going to hate certain ways of doing life. And that's what this psalm is pointing out on his bookends. If we love this, if we're committed to this, if we are devoted to this way of living, this book, then there's other ways that are out of bounds, not just out of bounds, but they're things that we should not love, that we should in fact hate. We should not go that way. Love defines our relationships. Love changes us because it defines the relationships that we run in. Number two, love shapes the way that we think. Love shapes the way that we think. Look at verses 98 to 100. Okay, we'll get into the meat of this right here. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. In other words, meditating on God's Word, keeping His commandments close to us, and living out His rules makes us wiser than our enemies, makes us more understanding than our teachers and the wisest people we can know, the elders, okay? This book is the key to that. But how can this be? The psalmist states that he always has God's Word with him. He meditates on it all day. That's one of those phrases from the Bible that's like, Paul says, pray without ceasing, right? You think about that? Meditate on this all day. Well, first of all, let's get our context straight, okay? In fair, it's fairly recent history that I would even have this up here and that you would all have Bibles out there in electronic formats, in paper formats, in the pews in front of you. Okay, the personal Bible is a very recent phenomenon in history, Production of scrolls and books for hundreds and hundreds of years was so expensive, and once they were produced, they were so large, they were not something that you could carry about with you, right? So the psalmist isn't talking about having the Bible on his phone. He isn't talking about having a book that he can carry around with him, okay? He had something stored up in him. In Psalm 119.11, it says, I stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you, okay? I stored it up. I put it in here. The Word had to get in here if I was going to be meditating on it all day. Second, he meditates on this stored Word. Meditation is also something that we misunderstand today's. It uh, gets tossed around in pop culture. It's this idea from Eastern religions that you need to empty your mind. You need to come to a peaceful state. And when you're there, you can look within and find the light. You can find the way. And we would say, well, there's something right about that. There's something good about quieting your mind. We're a very distracted people, aren't we? I mean, my phone has to be on the other side of the room when I'm sitting down to read this book because I'll think of something. I'll think of something so that I can pick that thing up, and then 10 minutes later, where am I? Right? We're very distracted. So there's something good about quieting yourselves sitting down with this text, but we're not about emptying the mind. We're not about focusing in here to find some kind of light. When we meditate, when Christians meditate, it involves quieting the mind and focusing on something. We have to have something to focus on. We're not trying to empty the mind, we're trying to fill the mind. And 
if you didn't have your own personal copy of the Bible, how would you do that? Well, you would have to have something stored in you that you could call to mind, okay? For hundreds of years, the memorization of the Lord's Prayer was central to Christian life and practice, and people would wake up every day, and that would help them order their life, order their thinking, give them something to meditate on, and perhaps a scripture that was read or preached the week before would be their meditation all week, okay? So, biblical meditation is quieting ourselves, but then focusing on the truth, one illustration the rabbis like to give about meditation was it was like the, cha- the cow that would chew the cud, okay? This would just keep coming up and being turned over and over and over. Perhaps a more palatable uh, illustration would be like a, a sore throat lozenge, right? You put it on your mouth, and the point isn't to chew it up and get it gone as fast as you can. It's to let it sit there and let it do its work and let it go inside of you and let it be turned over in your mind, okay? Love shapes the way we think, when we have God's Word in us, and when we're meditating on it. But thirdly, love directs the way we live, okay? Again, we're talking about how love changes us. It changes our relationships, it changes our thinking patterns, and it's going to change the way that we live. It's going to change the way we live. Look at verses 100 to 102 with me. For I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your Word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. Okay, we saw this earlier in our illustration, right? My love for my wife not only defines the extent and nature of my relationships with other women, it changes my actions towards them, right? Okay, it's going to define those relationships, and it's going to change how I act towards those people. Early on in uh, my Christian walk, I heard the testimony about Billy Graham his commitment to not be in a private setting with another woman who wasn't his wife, okay? That way there couldn't even be any accusation of impropriety, any accusation uh, towards him of misconduct. He wanted to flee the appearance of evil, to quote the King James, as he often did, okay? That meant if he had to meet with a woman in private, someone else had to be there. Well, that's inconvenient, If he needed to travel somewhere with a woman, someone else was coming along. Well, that gets expensive, especially if you're getting on an airplane or something like that, right? But this was an important commitment to him because he loved his wife. He loved his God, and that changed the way that he had to live. And so it should be with us. The way our love and our commitments will change the way that we live. Now, sometimes... This can, can lead to difficult situations like his inconveniences. Sometimes it could lead towards uh, a man seeming cold towards other women because he's trying to reserve and keep appropriate relationships, okay? But verse 102 is very, very important here. Let's look at the logic here in, 102, in 101, excuse me. I hold back my feet. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word, okay? I'm committed to your word, Lord. I love your word, and so I'm going to keep myself from evil ways because I want, I, want to, I want to honor this word. I want to keep this word. So I'm going to keep myself back. I'm going to guard myself. But before we start thinking that this becomes a self-help program for Christians, right? It can start to sound like a lot of do's in, in this sort of an idea. But this is, this is not a self-help program. We're given this shocking reminder in the next verse. Look with me at 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. How sweet are your words to my taste, 
sweeter than honey to my mouth. Why is God's word sweet to the psalmist? Is he just smarter than everybody else? Is he just lucky? He got, he got good taste buds, so, so, you know, he hit it rich. <laughs> he was born with the taste buds that, that would make this seem like a good thing to him, and well, other people, they just weren't as lucky or they weren't as smart. Well, I, I read the story of a man recently who was living a very unhealthy lifestyle, and especially his eating habits. They were atrocious. But after some people stepped into his life, helped him make some changes, he, he made this kind of goofy statement, I never knew how sweet a strawberry could be. Okay? One of the sweetest things, in other languages even, the strawberry has, has the word sweetness in the name for it, okay? I mean, I never knew how, how sweet a strawberry could be. He had to have something changed before he preferred all this junk. He was geared towards this junk. But after there was an intervention in his life and some habits changed, something changed in him, suddenly the strawberry was one of the sweetest things he'd ever tasted. This is amazing. And we could go on and talk about carrots and peppers and all these things that you can, if you're eating all this junk, you won't be able to taste the sweetness of these things. Okay? Nothing physically changed about him. He didn't have a, a, a surgery or anything, but something changed in his life. In a sense, he had a born-again experience as far as his taste went. And so it is with us, isn't it? Ephesians chapter 2 clearly states the problem. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, carrying about the desires of the flesh and the mind. Okay? That doesn't sound like someone that's going to find God's Word very sweet. God's law is not sweet to sinners. God's Word is not a delight to dead people. We need new life. We need a resurrection. We need God to change something in us before we can ever make something happen. And here is the good news, friends. God makes us alive together with Christ. God makes us alive together with Christ. And by grace and through faith, we have new taste buds for the Word of God so that this can be true of you. You're, you can say this with the psalmist, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. Okay? God prepared the way. He laid it down. It's out here, though. Okay? God prepared the works that He wanted us to do, specific actions that He wants you to live out in your life. And God will do the work to change us. He will do the work to give us those taste buds so that we want to be in this way, so that we want to do the works that this lays out for us. That's the good news here, okay? This is not, I, I'm feeling guilty about not reading the Bible and not really loving it like the psalmist does, and I don't know what to do, okay? God is the one who changes us. God is the one who gives us these kind of desires, and we can give thanks for that. And if you're not here today in Jesus Christ, you can have that. You can know God's way, His prescribed way to live, and live faithfully in the way that your Creator has made you. But how do we do that? Let's talk practical for a few minutes. How do we cultivate a love for this Word? How do we cultivate a love for God's Word? Now that His Word, now that God has changed us, if you're here today and you're believing in Jesus Christ, He's changed you. He's given you a new spirit. He's making you into a new creature How do we love 
God's word. He lays out this path before our feet and says, run. So, what should we do? What should we do to cultivate God's word? What do we do, well, when the love just feels kind of cold, feels kind of numb? This question might feel a little bit pressing on some of us, like, yeah, I do feel kind of numb toward God's Word. When I asked earlier if you resonate with the Psalms declaration, oh, how I love God's law, perhaps you hesitated a little bit. I hesitated when I wrote this. Do I love God's law? Perhaps you hesitated because you read this book every day, and sometimes it just feels a little routine. Sometimes maybe you hesitated because you haven't read this book on your own in weeks. I don't know what the reason is, but I know that God gives us some thoughts on how we can, how we can cultivate this love, okay? Now, I mean, some people might be thinking about dipping your toes in that water. Remember back from, from earlier we talked about the swimming pool? Like, well, that's not a very pleasant experience, dipping our toes in cold water. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Others might be out here in our congregation, and you're just, every day, you're pounding out the yards in the swimming pool. You're swimming, swimming, swimming. You're immersed in the Word, but you don't really get that joy from it anymore. And wherever you are in that spectrum, let's look at how we can cultivate this love. First, I want to I give you two acronyms, okay? Since this is an acrostic, based on the alphabet, I'm going to give you two acronyms to help us think through how we can cultivate our love for God's Word. First is ACT. ACT. Admit that your commitment is lacking, okay? Admit that your affections are waning. How many times have I prayed that when I open this book? God, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain, okay? That's a prayer right out of Psalm 119. God, incline my heart to your testimonies because I know when I wake up in the morning, my first desire is not to go read this book. It's not to go and delight in Jesus Christ most of the time. I need some help. I need some help. Let's admit to God when our commitment is lacking or when we don't feel like we have the affections that we need. Admit that we need God's help to get back. So that's A. And then act. Confess. Confess that for times we've neglected God's precious word. Confess our lack of earnestness when we come to this holy ground. How many times do I read this book every day and it's just like me reading another book? Just like me reading another book. I need to confess to God, I'm sorry, that I treat this book so unholy sometimes. But we admit these things, we confess our sins to God, our, our sins of the way we've treated or the way we've not even approached it, and then we train ourselves for holiness. In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about the holiness without which we, won't, which, without which we will not see God, okay? We, we want to see God. We want to be with God, and that requires holiness, and God's wanting to work that holiness in us. So, in this idea of training ourselves, okay? We've admitted we have an issue, we have, we've had problems, whatever the problem might be. We've confessed our sins to the Lord, but now we want to train. We want to get down, and we want to do something. And that's what we're going to talk about, getting immersed, okay? Get immersed. So you just got to help me out here a little bit and, and use only the consonants of the word immersed, okay? So M, M, here's some practical thoughts for cultivating your love for God's Word. Memorize and meditate on the Word. Sounds very simple and feels very uncomfortable, right? If I told you you could memorize an entire book of the Bible just by going one verse a day, would you believe me? I mean, do the math, especially for a short book. 
That's not that hard. Or, or, or pick a short psalm. You'd be done in less than a month. You could have a whole psalm memorized in less than a month. That doesn't sound so bad. I'm in the middle of Hebrews chapter 12 right now. Okay, I started last January, and I've just been slowly, slowly taking one verse a day. One verse a day. I miss some days here and there. Just take one verse a day, memorizing through books of the Bible. It's amazing what it does and how that word just comes out whenever I need it or whenever the Holy Spirit wants to do something in my life. Okay, you can do this. One verse a day. That's not, that's not overwhelming. Okay, that's getting our ankles in the water. Okay, so take a verse a day. That might, be, that might be something that works for you. Memorize and meditate. So immerse. Immerse yourself in God's Word. Memorize and meditate. Then R, read and study the Word. Okay? Memorization, if memorization is getting this book inside of you, reading and studying the Word is getting ourselves into the book. Okay? One of the things I love to do for reading the Bible is I, I have something on my phone Okay, phones, phones can be good things. They can be useful for your spiritual life. Okay, and I, I listen to parts of the Bible, so I listen through it in about a year. Micah's made a great program. You can get the little um, bookmark out there, and it lays out some chapters to read to help keep you moving through the Bible so that you're getting out into the pool, okay? You're getting out into the water. That's, that's just what reading is. It's just getting across the surface, starting to, starting to swim around. But if you want to go a little deeper, studying joining a Sunday school class, joining one of the community groups here, or getting together with a few people on your own at a coffee shop or accountability partner and going deeper, getting a book that might help you take, take you deeper, or just saying, I'm going to read this alongside some good commentaries, and I'm going to think about this and write some thoughts about God's Word, okay? Studying God's Word, going a little bit deeper in that pool, not just swimming across the top, but both are, both are good. So we want to we get God's Word in us. We want to memorize it. We want to meditate on it. We want to get out into the pool. We want to read and study. But then S, we want to speak and pray the Word. We want to speak and pray God's Word. I hope this analogy hits you. We want to be rivers, not stinky bogs, right? Nobody wants to be a stinky bog because no one wants to go around a stinky bog. Mosquitoes are buzzing around. Nobody goes camping by stinky bogs, but everyone loves to be by a river. Everyone loves to be by a river where you can hear the water flowing by. You can see some beautiful scenery. There's a lot of life there. Animals tend to live around rivers. Okay, These are great places to be. We want to be rivers of grace and not stinky bogs. We want fresh water to be flowing into us, be working its way through us, and then be coming out of us. Right? We want to speak and pray God's Word. Speaking the Word doesn't mean that you have to be a preacher. It doesn't mean you have to teach a class. But there's lots of opportunities to be speaking God's Word, are there not? You speak according to the way that God has gifted you in the situations God's gifted you. There's people that you can speak to that I can't speak to. There's ways that you can speak to people that I can't speak to people, that Pastor Josh can't speak to people. God has uniquely positioned you to be able to speak the Word to certain people, okay? So first of all, let's start with prayer. Because prayer, in some senses, we can take it and speak it right back to God. We can speak God's Word right back to Him. That's an amazing thing. In our Ephesians class, we've been studying in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, and in chapter 3, there's a prayer. Paul has written a specific prayer. Why not take one of those and for a week pray that prayer every day back to God? God, do this in my life. Do this in my family. Do this in the people that I love and the people that I know. 
It's a, it's a great way to guide your prayers if you're feeling like they're kind of lackluster and you don't know what to pray and God bless this person and help this person get better and that and that. Those are good things to pray. But we could take God's Word and we can turn it into a catapult for our prayer. You can even take this psalm. God, I pray that Micah would learn to love God's Word. You give him a great, a great passion for your Word that he would love it, that he would hate every false way. See, I just took a couple verses right there that I'd met memorized this past week, and I can pray them for my brother Micah, and you can do that too. Isn't it a great thing? It's a great thing to be praying God's Word, but we can also speak it. Speak it in your living situations, and this is where I get, I get uncomfortable too, okay? I tend to be a pretty reserved person, a pretty introverted person most of the time. I don't like to be the one who's, who's having to initiate, to step out, but I believe this is what God's Word calls us to do, to speak His Word, speaking it to our family and to our friends. Now, this doesn't have to always be formal. It may be fathers leading some sort of family devotion with the family. It may be gathering people around and speaking a word of truth, but it may just be informal. It may be that when that word actually gets in you and starts to season your life and your conversation, it starts to, to come out. And you start each day and pray for opportunities. Lord, give me opportunities today to speak your word. Give me an opportunity today, Lord, to be a river of grace. Okay? I don't want to just let these things I've read and memorized today be held up inside of me. I want them to be able to go out and bless somebody else. Okay? And then lastly, you can do that here at church, can't you? Come into church when your car is getting on, on this street out here right in front of the church or you're pulling right in the parking lot. Just pray, Lord, make me a river of grace today. Make me a conduit of grace that, that the word would flow out of me today. And Honestly, we have to have the Word coming into us if, if we're going to do that. God can do amazing things, can He not? But as we're disciplined, as we're training ourselves to get in this book and to get this book in us, that prayer can be much more effective. We're much more ready servants in the hands of our Maker. So memorize and meditate on God's Word. Read and study it. Get out into the pool. Get swimming around. Go deep. But then start speaking it. Start praying this Word. And then lastly, get immersed, do. Do the Word. Ezra 7.10, this would be a great one to memorize if you want to start memorizing a verse. Ezra 7.10 says that the hand of God was on Ezra's life because he had set his heart to study the law of Yahweh, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Okay? If you devote yourself to this book, if you get inside this book, if this book starts to get inside you as you meditate on it, it's going to change you. It's going to impact your pattern of speech. It's going to impact your lifestyle choices, okay? I think it's very important here that we see Ezra studied this book, and he started to do it in conjunction with teaching it, okay? Right? Remember back to my analogy if I said, I love to run, and you never saw me out running? You might question whether that's true. And if we are people that start to study this book and say we love this book, but then we never actually start doing it, we're never asking the question when we read, how does this apply to my life? Lord, help me apply this to my life. If we're not asking or thinking in that way, maybe we're not so genuine as we thought in our love. It's going to change our lifestyle choices. It's going to invade our daily habits and schedules. Are you ready for this? Are you ready to get out in the pool and get immersed? So we can act. We can admit. 
the things that we're, that the attitudes we've had wrong, the patterns of life we've had wrong, we can confess our sins to the Lord and then train ourselves, train ourselves to cultivate a love for God's Word. And we'll do that by getting immersed. But friends, this is not going to happen like a lightning bolt, okay? The psalmist meditated on God's Word. He obeyed God's Word. The psalmist got understanding from studying God's Word, but this was all by the grace of God. But we must walk the path that God lays out for us. One last verse to consider. Hebrews 12, 11 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Isn't that true? Okay. All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. When that coach gets you out there and has you run in wind sprints, that feels awful painful. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, so that when the ball comes your way in the game, you can sprint to that ball and beat that other guy to it. No problem. You've been trained. You've been trained by it. Let's be people that are trained by God's discipline. But training requires a plan, doesn't it? Okay? So we were talking about some practical things. We can memorize and meditate on God's Word. We can read it and study it. We can start to pray it and speak it and ask God to help us do it in our lives. But we've got to have a plan, don't we? You've got to have a plan if you're going to train for something. You don't just go out and run a marathon. You train to run a marathon. And the way that we do that is we have to have a time, we have to have a place, and you've got to have a word, don't you? Okay? I would encourage you, the first step, if, if, if something's hitting your heart with this, the first step is either later today, tomorrow, sometime this week, ask God to give you some time this week. Think about What's the best time that I could start spending some time memorizing, meditating, reading, studying God's Word? Picking that 15-minute window out, that 30 minutes, whatever it might be for you. Picking that time out and making it concrete. This is when I'm going to train. This is when I'm going to do this. And then you've got to have a place, right? Well, that kitchen table might be cluttered with all kinds of stuff. Okay? Often in my home, my desk becomes kind of the throw place because we don't have, we don't want to put it on the kitchen table, but we don't have anywhere else to put all the bills that come in and the kids' books and my bags when I come home from work. That's not a very good place for me to read the Word. So I've had to, every night before I go to bed, make sure I clear it off because I know if I get up and I'm distracted by this and that, I'll start paying this bill, I'll start doing that, and suddenly my 15 minutes is gone, okay? We're going to have a time, pick a place, and pick a passage, okay? I gave you, a, I gave you an idea, you can start with Ezra 7.10, meditating on that. Memorize that one. Pick one of your favorite psalms, maybe one that Josh preached on a few months ago. That would be a great one to start working your way through and memorize a verse a day. Or maybe you want to do one of those reading plans that Micah's got out there. Whatever it's going to be for you, there's, there's a lot of great options. I'm not going to tell you one's better than the other. Pick what's best and then and stick with that for a little while and ask God to bless it. And then lastly, it's also helpful to have somebody who's going to keep you accountable. Somebody you can just say, how, is you, how are you growing in your love for the Word? It may be your spouse, it may be a good friend, maybe someone else that, that, that you talk to about this, but um, it, it's good to have a time, to have a place, have a specific passage, and then, and then somebody that can help you with this. So let's take the plunge this year, shall we? Let's get immersed in God's Word, and I trust that this is going to be true for us, that He will help us love His Word, and it will really be sweeter than honey to our taste. Would you pray with me? 
our Lord and God, this, these are big things. We, we need your help. Lord, we admit that at times we don't have the right affections, the right commitment to you and your holy word. And we ask that you would forgive us. We ask that you would help us to make changes in our life. Help us to, to make concrete changes by your help, Holy Spirit. And Lord, bear fruit. Bear that peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. We don't just want to do this so that we can feel holy and better than other people. That's not at all why we want this, Lord. We're here asking you to do this so that you would make us more like your son Jesus and more useful in the service of your kingdom. So would you do this for the sake of your name? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.